Good morning, New Life. Just a few of you are welcoming today, huh? Let's, uh, we're going to open up in prayer and just kind of welcome God into this. Can we do that? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, uh, it is, um, as the song just sang, by your power, that we get to know you as Savior, that we get to have our sins forgiven, that we get to live a life of joy and peace because of what you've done for us. Father, I just pray today that everyone that is here is encouraged by the Word of God today. They're encouraged to worship you, and they're encouraged to trust you more than they ever have before. Let this be a year, Lord God, of, 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 of powerful life transformation in each one of us. Move in our hearts, Lord. We love you so, and Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. let's stand and worship.
know that you will be with me and when I'm standing in the fire I will not be
could you imagine being a person that doesn't have that confidence? That you're never alone? Yep, it's working. See, we're, we're not alone at all. Jesus Christ is always with us. He, he loves us and he wants to do life with us. Am I the only one excited about that today? Just kind of wondering if you're all there yet. But um, You may be seated. And the kids can be dismissed. I've been telling people all morning that the last time I taught teens was 15 years ago. It's actually 20 years ago is the last time that I taught teenagers. So if you hear teenagers screaming and running out of the building, you know that I broke them. But let's go ahead and dismiss the teens at the same time. Kayla's got them. Kayla hopefully won't break them before I get down there. I want to introduce you to an old man. And the, the benefit of old men is they're wise. He knows a lot about the Bible. And he's going to teach you some things this morning that will help encourage your hearts. So Verlin, come on up. This is going to be me someday. I got it now, sir. Thank you. Hello, good morning, new life. I, uh, I do this every time with much fear and much trembling, even though I have been a pastor for 50 plus years. It is such an awesome responsibility to stand up here and break the word of God to people. And I, I appreciate Pastor giving me the opportunity to do that. The last 15 years, I have not done a whole lot of preaching. Mostly it's been in a teaching ministry. And I want to get rid of this, so hang on. You want to hold that? <laughs> Having broke my back a couple of times and being a diabetic, why I have neuropathy and arthritis. And so <clears throat> occasionally I do not get a whole lot of feeling in my feet. <clears throat> so what I want you to do this morning before I do anything is I would like you to stand with me, would you? <clears throat> and I want you to just reach out and take the hand of the person next to you. <clears throat> and we just want to talk to God for a minute. Oh, my Father, how holy are you, O oh Lord? And I can't do this on my own, Father. 
Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence here this morning. Come and anoint us with power from on high. Let not man be lifted up in any way, Lord, but that the Son of God, Jesus, our Messiah, be glorified and lifted up. And we ask that in the name of Jesus. And before you sit down, tell somebody Jesus looks good on you. Pastor has been doing a, a series from the book of Judges, and he asked me to, um, so I want you to open your Bible if you have one, and if you didn't bring one, they're going to put it up on the screen, I hope. One thing about it when you get old, Pastor just learning this, is that you have to have these things. Because uh, if I, I get back here, I can read that. <laughs> but up close, I can't. Oh, Judges chapter 6. Gideon, and it starts verse 22, says, Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, and he called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it's still an altar of the Abzurites. Let me give you just a little history on that, okay? Back when Moses was on the mountain with God, and he said, Show me your glory, Lord. Why, God told Moses, he said, no man can see my glory and live. So he puts Moses in the cleft of the rock, and he puts his hand over him, and he passes before him. And Moses comes down off the mountain, and his wife, Sephora, says, what did you see today, Moses? And Moses said, I saw God's behind. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> That's my addition to that. But So, I want to take that, that portion of Scripture and I want to make an application to the future because I believe what the Bible says is that we are the last generation before the coming of the Lord. So, it's January the 8th. There's 51 weeks left in the year. That means that there's only 351 shopping days till Christmas next year. <laughs> and most of the ladies get excited about that and the men cringe. But oh, what can we as a body of believers look forward to in the coming year? What lies out there ahead of us? Higher prices, more crime, more victims. You know, I, I, and you look at it, and you know, just this last week, I was reading in the paper, and the, and the article said this, why are people killing each other? 
Well, the Bible gives a very definitive description of that because it says, in, in the last days, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And because iniquity is abounding, and the church is a restraining item, and I, I, I honestly believe that if the church prayed more and did more, the evil wouldn't do that. But no matter what, God's plan is going to come out. God's plan is going to work out. It doesn't make any difference what laws Congress pass. It doesn't make any difference who sits in the White House. It doesn't make any difference who sits on the throne. It doesn't make any difference at all. God has a plan, and God's plan will come to pass. How many of you know what the World Economic Forum is? Anybody? One person. The World Economic Forum was started in 1971 by a man by the name of Hans Klaus. And Hans Klaus took Hitler's Third Reich and he followed that down and he calls it the Fourth Industrial Revolution. But it's based on that. And he has pushed that since 1971. Some of his prized pupils have been, and I want you to listen to this, Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, Macron, the Prime Minister of France, the new Prime Minister of England, and Joe Biden. Four people who sat on the thrones as the most powerful nations on earth. Amazing, isn't it? And their plan is, that, and it's all over Europe, in the airports, everywhere you go, you'll see this words, 2030, because that's the day that they're, they're, they're promising their followers that they're going to have a thousand years of peace on the earth. How many of you know that the only thousand year peace that's coming is the millennium kingdom of Jesus Christ? And that would have been a good place for a rousing amen. All right? So, I, I guess if I was going to do anything, I would want to see what Jesus thought on the last days. So if you have a Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to jump around in Scripture this morning. But, guess what? You have to forgive me. Because that's scriptural. And, and we're going to look at verse 32. <clears throat> Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it's near at the door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of the day... And the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Pay attention to that, <clears throat> that portion of scripture that says, when you see the fig tree bloom. If you were in ancient Israel and you walked out of the temple, it's two miles from the temple to Bethany. But in between the temple and Bethany, just a few paces out of there, was a place called Bethpage. Whenever you see Beth in the Bible, in the original language, Beth means house of. Bethlehem, house of God. 
Bethpage, house of priests. Bethel, house of God. You know, Bethlehem, house of bread. I said that wrong. But anyway, we'll get it right. I'm old, so you got to forgive me. <laughs> but when, when you see that, when Jesus, if, if, you, if you're familiar with the Olivet Discourse, Jesus come in on Palm Sunday, and he's greeted and has all this glorious celebration going on as they're welcoming him into. Five days later, they hang him on a cross and crucify him. What we call on this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, we call it Palm Sunday, but five days later, they hang him on a tree and crucify him. Now, get this. So he's in the ground Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and he arises on what? On the eighth day. Let me give you a, a, a little secret, okay? If you're familiar with Bible numerology, what does the word eight stand for? The number eight stands for new beginnings. Jesus was raised on the eighth day. If you go back to the Pentecost, on the day the church was born, the church was born, you have seven weeks after the crucifixion and that. Jesus said, Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high and after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you you shall be a witness unto me into Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth and you take those seven days or seven weeks there 49 days on the eighth day on the day of Pentecost which means 50 the church was birthed in life oh it's just a significant thing so anyway to get back to that, when the fig tree was cursed on the outside at Bethpage there, it withered and died. And most people don't understand the significance of that because the fig tree stood for Israel. It stood for its judicial system. It stood for its religious system. And it stood for all that Israel stood for. And Jesus cursed it and it died. Now, when did that fig tree bloom again? It didn't bloom again until May 1948, when Israel was reinstated by the United Nations as, an as, a, as a land for the Jewish people and homecoming. So you take that and it says, this generation shall not pass away. How long is a generation? Does the Bible tell us? Yeah, it does. Put up Psalms 90 verse 10, would you? The days of our years are threescore and ten. But if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. It means that I'm almost 83. That means that I must be a little bit strong. <laughs> be that it may. So that tells me that this generation shall not pass away. We are the final generation leading up to the second coming of Jesus, which is known as the rapture of the church. That's what I call it. People say the word rapture doesn't appear in the Bible. They're right. It doesn't. Because they don't understand that the, one of the first translations of the Bible was called, how many know what it's called? It's translated into Latin. Huh? And it was called the Vulgate translation. It was translated into Latin. And the word taken out, caught up, comes from the Latin word rapturo, which in its original sense and original meaning means snatched away, quickly taken, caught up. And if you open your Bible to 
First Thessalonians chapter 4. I'll show you something. First Thessalonians chapter 4. And that's the King James Version, and I'm reading from the New King James. They're a little bit close. The New King James leaves out the thou's and the therefore's and so. First Thessalonians says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow with others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep with Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Where did you get this, Paul? Jesus told me. Paul spent three and a half years on the backside of the Arabian desert learning how to do things God's way. It would have probably taken me 40 years because I'm stubborn. If you don't believe that, ask my wife. <laughs> oh, the church is caught up to meet him in the air. If we read on, I don't want to take the time to do that right now. I, I got a whole lot of ground I want to cover. We're caught up to meet him with the air. And, and there, here's one thing that, that, that this portion of scripture Anybody who's a Greek scholar can go home and look this up. If not, go to Kittles. Go, there, there's lots of Greek scholars there who write lots of books on it. But there, there's one word in that they never translate. It's not there. At a Bible study I do on Tuesday mornings, I showed this to the guys. I showed them right in the Greek. And they don't translate. It says, and I want to read this. So it says, The Lord of seven, heaven shall be. Send from heaven with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. In the original language, there's a word in there that says, some translations say ever and ever, but the original says ever and ever and forever. But it's not in any translation of the Bible. I have looked at all of them. And I wondered why. And they said they didn't want to cause confusion. So I want, to, I want you to understand something. At the first coming of the Lord, he comes as a thief in the night. And, and it, to understand a thief in the night, you have to understand a Jewish wedding. Oh, how many of you understand a Jewish wedding? Well, I do. So I'm going to take a couple of minutes and explain it to you, all right? What happened was that there wasn't anything like our weddings today where a guy goes up and proposes and, you know. What happened then was the groom took a piece of money or property or whatever to the father of the bride and he said, I will give you this much for your, your daughter to be my wife. And if they agreed on it, that marriage would happen. And they did two things. They drank a cup of wine, which was called the ketubah. They would drink that cup of wine, and that would seal it. And then he would turn to his bride, and he would say these words. And this is what's really interesting in Scripture. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. Where does that happen? 
Jesus, when he was getting ready to leave John chapter 14, he said, in my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not true, I would not have told you so. He goes to prepare a place for him because he's making reference to a Jewish wedding. So the groom goes, and normally it takes about a year or so, and he prepares a room on his father's house. It's called the bridal chamber, and he fixes it. He fixes it up with everything they need to last for what is called the honeymoon period, which was lasted seven days. And only the father could tell him when that room was prepared and when it had been stocked properly. Not only that, but he built a house on the father's property so that they had a place to move into after the honeymoon was over. And only the father could walk in there and say, son, it's time to go get your bride. And he would leave in the middle of the night. Why would they do it? Why did they call it a thief in the night? Because the Jewish people think it's romantic for a husband to come steal the bride away. I don't find much romance in that. <laughs> but in Matthew 25, it gives a parable of ten virgins. And five of those virgins are prepared. And the bridegroom comes. And the, the trumpeter goes before him and says, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. And he walks out of there. And he goes through town, following that with his entourage. And, and the ten virgins that are listed there are part of the bride's entourage. And they go to get the bride, and five of them are not ready to go. You know why? I, and I will venture to say this. I'll step out on a limb this morning. I will say this. If Jesus Christ were to come today, 50% of the church would get left behind because they're not ready to meet him. Now, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? That's okay. I've never been noted for being somebody who pulls punches or anything else. So, now that you understand a Jewish wedding, you understand what the second coming is like and why it says no man knows the hour or the day. Only the Father knows. Does that make sense? Are you still with me? Well, it's about to get interesting. So, Revelation chapter 6. We're going to take a look at some things that are coming. I need two guys to come here. Now, when they, when they, I have, how many of you know what the scroll It says that uh, Revelation chapter 5 says nobody's able to open the scroll in heaven, on earth, or under the earth. And he sits down to weep. And the angel of the Lord says to John the Revelator, he said, don't weep because the Lion of Judah hath prevailed and he will open the book. So, you know, this is, a, my Bible is a book. You can put seven seals on that and it'll still be closed if you cut one. So, if he cuts that first seal, a scroll is opened. Now, if he unwinds it, the only thing is, it's upside down. <laughs> In Revelation chapter 6, when that first seal is open, what you see 
It says there's a rider on a white horse. He has a crown. He has a bow. And he goes forth conquering to conquer. The interesting thing about that is he has a bow, but he has no arrows. I don't know what good that bow is going to do him, but this is not Jesus. And I have heard so many people say, oh yeah, Jesus. No, that's not. this is the Antichrist. And he goes forth conquering to conquer. And I can tell you this, that on the scene, in the near future, is coming a politician who is smooth-talking, who will deceive the whole world, and he's going to make a seven-year covenant or treaty with Israel, and he's going to allow them to start sacrificing again. They're going to be able to rebuild the temple. They're going to do all of that because this man is going to come in in the way of peace. How do I know that? Well, how do I know Israel's getting ready to sacrifice again? In September, part of September 1st, part of October this year, there was five red heifers flown into Israel in secret. It, it made every newspaper around the world except in the U.S. Maybe a couple in the U.S. These red heifers, five of them, have to be perfect, without blemish, without a white hair, without anything on Even their hooves have to be red. They put five of them in there. And they were inspected by the Jewish rabbis and declared fit. Those heifers in last year were yearlings. They can't sacrifice them until they become two years old. And that when they become two years old, they are sacrificed and burned. Their ashes are mixed with water. And that is a purification ceremony that they set the priesthood apart. You can look that up. Go to any, any place and look up the red heifers in Israel because they're there right now and they've been there. So what does that tell me? It tells me that the Jewish people are getting ready to set up the priesthood, getting ready to sacrifice again, and that Antichrist, who made a covenant with them, is going to allow them to do that. 42 months three and a half years into that tribulation period, then he walks into the temple of God and I better stop. I got to explain something. Just so you know. All right? In, in, the, in the wilderness, when Israel come out of Egypt, they set up their campsite at the only opening into the tabernacle that was there was on the east side. That's east. That's east? Yeah, that's north. I get my directions right, I think. So that, right outside of that, that opening, and it was called the way. Right outside of that was the tribe of Judah. And this is what really interests me. Judah in the original language means praise. You had to get through praise to get in the way. Now, if you went inside there, you went to the holy place, the opening, and that was called the truth into the Holy of Holies was called the life. And when Jesus stood before the Sanhedrin and for all the religious leaders, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. I am all three ways, Jewish people. Get it. Do you get that? Do you understand that? I'm all three ways. That would have been a good place for an amen, too. Yeah. So, 
at the midpoint of that tribulation when that Antichrist walks into that temple and sits down in the Holy of Holies and he says, I'm God, worship me. Israel, the blinders are taken off Israel's eyes and they recognize him for who he is, for who he is and what they do is they realize that their Messiah they crucified several years prior to that. Now, what's really interesting about that is, is that people always ask me when I share that with them, while the priesthood had to do everything just right, why isn't he killed when he goes into the holy place where the presence of God is? Well, if you look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 there, you will find out where it says, He who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Because he's not killed is because the church and the Holy Spirit have been taken off the earth. Otherwise, he would die in the powerful presence of God. But he can't do that because the presence of God has been lifted from the earth. That would have been a good place for a third or fourth amen. You know. So I look at all of that and I think, man. So he cuts the second seal. He bre Jesus breaks the second seal. Guess what happens? Oh, a rider on a red horse. Right out of the book of Revelation. What does this rider on the red horse do? Well, he takes peace. People begin to kill one another. He kills with the sword. He takes peace from the earth. And if you're looking at the world scene today, I will submit this to you, that there is a gentleman, I wouldn't call him a gentleman, I would call him a diabolical demon from the land of Russia. He's called Gog, which means prince. And he, I guarantee you this, once the church leaves this whole planet Earth, he will nuke somebody. And you know where his missiles are aimed at? The United States of America. And he will take the peace from there. And I guarantee it, you can say, you, you can do what you want to, and, but I'll tell you what, he will nuke the United States of America because he hates the Western culture so bad. So, the third zeal is cut and opened. And guess what we have? The rider on the black horse. What does a rider on the black horse do? Well, I could read it, but I have it here in front of me. He creates famine and hunger throughout the world. Anytime you have a war, you have famine follows it and hunger follows it because everything. And what it says, it says there that it takes, and if you read it in the original language, what it means is that it takes a day's wages to buy one slice of bread. If you have a family of four or five people, guess what? Split one slice of bread five or six ways. Somebody's going to go hungry. And they're going to die because of that. So how many of you think I'm gloom and doom? Huh? I'm just getting started. Have, have you kept track of prices lately? How many of you like a hot dog? Every once in a while I like a hot dog. My preference in hot dogs is ballparks. I mean, they just don't get any better than a ballpark hot dog. 
nuke it for one minute, it splits open, all the juice runs out, wrap it in a, in a piece of bread with a little mayo and a little mustard on it. I mean, it tastes so good, your tongue will slap your brains out. <laughs> oh, when I, when I first came here, when I came back here in 2017, ballparks at our local grocery store were $2.39 for ballpark francs. I went in last week and bought a package of ballparks, $6.39 in five years. I'm a diabetic because I had pancreatic cancer and God in his infinite glory just healed me miraculously, but I became a diabetic over that. So I keep by my bedside a jar of chocolate-covered raisins because I can throw a handful of them in my mouth and my, it'll rest my blood sugar up because it has a tendency to go real low because what little bit I have of my still produces insulin and when it does that and I'm on an insulin pump, which I left at home this morning because I did want my blood sugar to go low from walking back and forth up here, but I keep those by my bed. They used to come in a jar that big and about that tall and the price on them when I came here was $4.99. I picked up a, a package two weeks ago, a bottle of them two weeks ago at one of the local stores and guess what the price is? $9.99 and the jar is about two-thirds the size of the big one that I used to get. So where is all this headed? It's not you're looking at what we would call the new norm. It's never going to go back to what it was because there was a plan and a purpose out there, and it's to bring about one world government under the leadership of the Antichrist. So he opens the fourth seal. And we have a rider on a pale horse, and this is what scripture says about him. The pale horse, he kills with a sword, hunger, death, and a beast of the field. Not only hunger and death, but the beast of the field. If you read the newspaper, right now I don't read the newspaper, but I go online and read the news. Last week, two kids in junior high were hiking in the woods behind their house. One bear came out of the woods and killed them both. If you follow that kind of stuff like I do because I'm interested in what's happening in the world, Two months ago, a lady was walking in Yellowstone National Park and a big old buffalo come charging out of the bus and brush and hit her and gored her to death. Two weeks prior to that, a man was walking and a bull elk came out and charged him. It's happening. It just hasn't reached the culmination of it or the fulfillment of it yet because God still has a plan and the church is still here. Now, what is the most destructive animal in the world? The most destructive animal in the world. I, I, I researched this this week. This animal accounts for $20 billion annually in the U.S. of destruction. The rat. A rat destroys 25 to 30% of every grain crop every year in the United States. 
Imagine that. $20 billion in the United States alone annually. Thank you, gentlemen. That's all the further we're going to go. Now you know what a scroll looked. That's a, that's a book in Bible days. So, still with me? Is your information in overload yet? Well, it's going to get there, I guarantee it. That pale horse, Scripture says that he is allowed to kill a fourth of the people on the earth. You know what the population of the world is right now? Right at 8 billion people. That one horseman kills 2 billion people. That's coming. You see, when we read it, it says... Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word never. God says it will happen. It's coming. But he's not done yet. He opens the fifth seal. And all those souls up until that time that have been martyred for God are under the altar. And they're crying out, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, before you avenge our death? And the words of the Lord back to them are this. you got to wait a little bit longer. There's a few more people that have to die for my name. If you don't make the rapture of the church, you're going to lose your head. And that's the best way to put it. Because the, the, the primary way of killing people is beheading anymore. So... How many more, Lord? How many more are going to have to be killed? I don't know. But then he opens his sixth seal. And in the sixth seal, there's a great earthquake. And that great earthquake, and I, I want to read this because it just is so important. So, I looked and when he'd opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like God blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it rolled up. Every mountain and island was moved out of place, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty man, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains and said to them, fall on us. Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb, for his great day has come. So, how many of you know that, and I'll, I'll, I'll do this off the top of my head, because the only thing I am blessed with anymore is I still have a great memory. So, here's what happens. Do you remember the earthquake that happened that was registered 9 on the Richter scale? I think it was 2002, 2004. How many of you remember that? Do you know what that earthquake, what it caused the earth to do? We're going to say this is the earth, all right? If this is the earth, the earth sits at 23 point, I'll give you a lesson in science, okay? The earth sits at 23.5 degrees. You can look it up. 23.5 degrees. This always points to north. This is a sun. It goes around the sun like this. When it's over here, the upper latitudes 
have summer. When it's over here, they have winter. This never changes. The Earth spins. 23.5 degrees. It never changes. But at that 9-degree earthquake that they had in 2002, I think it was, it caused that Earth to wobble on its axis like this. Now, if that weren't bad enough, how many of you, this is, you can, you can look this up too. The Earth, the, the magnetic north of the Earth, because of the instability of the molten core of the Earth, is shifting. It's shifting at the tune of, and it just slowed down. It was 35 miles per year. Now it's down to 26 miles. You know how far the north of magnetic has shifted in the last 100 years? Try 680 miles. What does that do to the GPS systems? I can tell you what it was, what it does. I was with my son in Kansas City, and we were going to go to this comic theater with a dinner and that, and we were following his GPS. We could see where we had to go, but here we are a quarter of a mile from it, and no roads go across there. My son-in-law, Jim Russell, who has guard this week and is not here. If he were here, I would challenge you to go out in the foyer and ask him. You know how much he has to adjust his radar every year for the shifting, the magnetic north? Two to three degrees every year because it's moving at such a, at such a rapid rate. So what that earthquake is going to do, it's going to cause, I don't even know what a, maybe I ought to use a different, nah. It's going to cause a polar axis shift. You know what a polar axis shift is? That's when this planet goes like this. Is it in the Bible? Yes. Show me. I will. Go to Isaiah chapter 24. You don't think I would do this unprepared, do you? Huh? Isaiah 24, and let's start at verse 19. The earth is violently broken. The earth is split open. The earth is shaken exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall totter like a hut. Its transgression shall be heavy upon it. It will fall and not rise again. Read the rest of the chapter on your own time. He's talking about the last days. That's what's going to happen. But I'll, and I'll, I'll start to close with this. My hope, my trust is not in the world situation. My hope and my trust and my anchor is in an old rugged cross. The blood of my Savior rolled down that cross and through that blood I have a redemptive soul. My redemption is complete. And I'll tell you a story about the blood that came out of the cross. I did some research on this, and it's one of the most fantastic things I ever read in my life was that a man, an amateur archaeologist, was walking through old Jerusalem one day, and he was walking with one of the people of the antiquities of the Jewish government because he, he wanted a place to dig because he just felt in the leading of the Holy Spirit. And this amateur archaeologist 
was an anesthesiologist who worked at a large hospital in, in Georgia. And he's walking along and there was that man beside him and suddenly his arm goes boom and his voice says, beneath you is Jeremiah's Grotto. So what's significant about Jeremiah's Grotto is this, is that when the Babylonians invaded Israel in 586 BC, Jeremiah and some of the priesthood allegedly took the Ark of the Covenant and hid it in Jeremiah's Grotto and sealed it up in that so he goes to this place that looks like a skull, not the traditional place where they put the Christ. He gets permission. He digs down through about 13 feet of rubble. And guess what? In the solid bedrock there, and he'll show you a picture of it on his website. Hey, there's a chiseled out cross hole like that. There's three of them. And through the middle one, there runs a crack through it. And he knew that he had found the crucifixion site of Jesus. He took a string and he put a needle on it. And he lowered it down through there until it touched something. It was 20 feet down there. That was 1979. In 1981, guess what happened? He finally, after breaking down walls, going through tunnels, opened up a little place. And that man from antiquities was with him. He stuck his head in this little opening. And he backed out and screamed, I can't go in there. This amateur archaeologist, he chisels it out so he could get in there. And when he got in there, he saw a stone box over there that the earthquake had shifted the cover off of. And his string was hanging down there. And he walked over there and he looked in there. And underneath that was the Ark of the Covenant. And there was blood on the west side of the Ark of the Covenant. The east side is where the priests would go in annually and they would take their finger and they would dip it in the blood of the sacrifice and for seven times they would put the blood on there so that Israel's sins would be paid for and they would be free for another year. But I submit to you, Jesus' blood came down there and what he says is it landed on the west side of the Ark of the Covenant which was reserved on the mercy seat for Jesus to offer sacrifices. His blood landed on that. This amateur man took, he scraped some of that blood off. He took it to a laboratory in Jerusalem where they spare their people from antiquities told him to take it. They said it'll take us 78 hours, 72 hours to find this. They came back, he came back in 72 hours. They said, this is human blood. He said, I know that. He said, what I want you to do. He said, I want you to take that scrapings that I put, I want you to put them in a saline solution. You put them in that saline solution and you keep them at body temperature for 48 hours. And that's exactly what they did. He was there at the 48 hours and they said, whose blood is this? You see, human blood has 43 chromosomes, 43 from the mother, 43 from the father. This blood only has 24 chromosomes. 22 from the mom plus a Y and one from the father or an X from the mom and a Y from the father. This blood was from a male. Whose blood is it? It's still alive. It's not dead. He looked at him and he said, that's the blood of your Messiah. Three laboratory workers in Jerusalem accepted the Lord at that time. That's where my anchor's at. That cross and the cross of Jesus Christ, it never, ever failed me. Never, ever, 
ever, ever failed me. So, that's my blessed hope. Now, I want you to stand with me. I'm going to give some of you an opportunity this morning. here and don't know Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make the most important decision you've ever made in your life. And that decision is this. You can accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and you can bypass everything I just shared with you because the church is gone. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, pastor's going to come here. How many of you would like to know for sure that your sins are forgiven? If you don't know that for sure, would you just slip out of where you're at and come stand down here in front? Would you do that? If you want to know for sure, my sins are forgiven, my name is written in the book of life, I want to know that for sure. Would you just slip out? Maybe you're too afraid to slip out, so just grab the person next to you and say, hey, I'm a little bit of a coward. Would you walk down front with me? Because Pastor Andy's going to come and he's going to lead us in a prayer of salvation for everyone here who doesn't know Jesus. Would you come? I'll wait just a few minutes. You want to know for sure. You don't know that you've ever accepted Jesus. You've never made a public confession of it. You need to come right now. In the name of Jesus, I ask, I implore you, most important decision you'll ever make. Pastor. Can you help me in there? Hands bowed, eyes closed. The Lord's touching your heart to come forward and just kind of seek God in prayer right at the moment. Why don't you come in? The Bible teaches us that there's a book found in heaven that contains the names of all those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But it also contains those sins that we have committed without Christ. God keeps good records of the things that we've done right and wrong. To judge fairly, he knows who has received Christ and repented of the sins and those who have rejected him. Standing before God, what will this book reveal about you? That you are born again or that you are still in sin? If you want to, as Verlin said, is if you want to bypass all the negative stuff because the church is gone, you need to trust Christ as your Savior today. So if you want to do that today, you want to make a decision to make Jesus Christ your Savior. Confessing your sins before Him. Trusting Him as the only one that God would accept as payment for your sins. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Pray with me if you want to receive Christ. Father God, I'm calling upon you.
as the God of creation. I've sinned against you. I've chosen to reject your way and go mine, knowing that I'm being disobedient. I need my sins forgiven that my name will not be blotted out of the book of life. And I trust that Jesus Christ is the only way for that to happen. So I call upon you, confessing my sin, seeking cleansing of my sin, that I may be comforted by your coming again. knowing that when you read off my name, because of Jesus Christ, I will have no sin. Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you for Verlin's teaching today. I want to thank you for the knowledge that you've given him and the heart to share it. Father, let this day be a day of change, life change, that we would get serious about you in these end times, like we are so close to you coming back. What a shame it would be for somebody to be in this place and to not trust you as Savior today and then run out of time tomorrow. What a shame it would be for us who know the truth of Jesus Christ, who know the need for mankind to have their sins forgiven and to not share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Knowing how difficult these times are, knowing what people are going to go through without Christ. Let us repent of the sin of not sharing the gospel. And showing people there's a better way of life and it's through Jesus Christ. Father, if there are those who have trusted you as their Savior today, let them not be ashamed and let them not be afraid to confess your name as their Savior. Let them tell their family, their friends, their neighbors. Let them tell us that Jesus Christ has just forgiven them of their sins. And let the church members in this room be known by our love as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who do not know it. And Lord, if I could say this to this congregation, let the gospel be the most important issue of their life. We make big deals out of things that are, have no eternal consequence. But people without Christ being separated from God for eternity in a place called hell is of the utmost importance to us. Encourage our hearts to seek your face. In Jesus we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated real quick. I got uh, just one announcement. There, are, there is a, uh, for the parents of teenagers, there's a teen activity this Friday at 5.30 at the Gearhart um, Bowling Alley. Um, starts at 5.30. I don't know when it ends. Does anybody know how long it goes? Well, you'll just have to find that out. 
But that's this Friday, this Friday the 13th. Is that Friday the 13th? Good thing I don't believe in that stuff, huh? Every day is a good day with Jesus, right? So that's this this Friday, so encourage your kids to be a part of that. Uh, Phileo is going to be a part of it, and, and he's leading it, and we're really excited to see how God works through him today. So let me pray one more time, and we'll go home. So let's stand one last time. Father, I want to thank you for uh, a man of God who loves the Word of God and loves the people of God and loves the church of God. And Father, sometimes I wonder why, but I know He loves me. And I'm just grateful that you send men like that to share the Word of God with the people of God. But Father, none of this matters if we don't do something with it. None of this matters if we don't take the truth that we've heard today and be serious about the things of God, especially in these last days. The earth is about to turn on its side. We need you today. Give us courage to share the gospel. And give us courage to not be ashamed of it. We love you and we just pray that you are glorified in our daily lives. We love you and Jesus we pray. And all God's people one last time said, Guys, thanks for coming today. God bless. Go home.